This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. You guys already know how obsessed I am with therapy. I talk about it all the time on this podcast about how I have two therapists and how I go to therapy every single week. Well, I've been going to therapy for years, but once 2020 hit, the year of chaos for all of us, I really needed extra support and BetterHelp has really been there to guide me through these chaotic times. Uh, I've been dealing with anxiety, depression, and I also have been in this recovery space for disordered eating and just a host of other issues. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and, uh, and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours, so all you have to do is you take a a quick online quiz, you answer some questions about what you're going through, what kind of therapist you're looking for, and you can literally write in the answers, I am looking for this kind of therapist, I am looking for an expert in this field. That's what I did, and they matched me with a therapist who has tons of experience with eating disorders, trauma, and depression. And to be honest, I love my therapist so much. She's probably my favorite therapist I've ever had. And I've been through like a variety of therapists over the years. Me and her really hit it off. And even if you don't hit it off with your therapist right away, because let's be real, finding a therapist can honestly feel like you're dating. Don't worry, you can always change therapists as many times as you need. No questions asked, no charge or anything like that. So you can always change your therapist and then get matched with a new one that day. So BetterHelp uh, is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is literally professional counseling done securely online. And what I love about BetterHelp is that they have a journal feature. So if you're going through something challenging through the week and you don't have an appointment until, let's say, next week, you can write a journal entry. It's all online. It's secure. And if you'd like, you can share that journal entry with your therapist so that they are on the same page. They're caught up. They know exactly what you're going through. They know whatever triggers you've been dealing with over the week. And what's awesome about BetterHelp, too, is that your therapist will respond. So you can actually communicate with your therapist in between your your sessions. So it's not like you only get, get to talk to your therapist once a week. You can check in with them frequently in between your sessions. You can catch them up to date. You can kind of communicate with them every day if you wanted to and the online journal feature is really nice for folks who are new to journaling or just need that extra support so communicating with your therapist more frequently could really benefit you if you're going through a rough time. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available if you are struggling right now. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You can visit betterhelp.com slash vibe. That's better com slash vibe. And you can join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You deserve the support. 
you deserve the healing and you are not alone there are so many people who are struggling with severe anxiety depression trauma all of these things and you don't need to suffer in silence anymore so visit betterhelp.com vibe for a discount on your first month of online therapy that's betterhelp h-e-l-p dot com slash vibe and that discount code will get you 10% off of your first month of online counseling at betterhelp.com slash vibe welcome to the vibe within podcast i'm your host gab cohen Each week, we will connect through stories and conversations about wellness, yoga, addictions, spirituality, mental health, rituals, and everything in between. The goal is to transform our traumas into strengths to create the change we desire in our lives. My mission is to help others by shining awareness on real-life topics so we can learn new ways to heal physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Whatever you are going through in this moment, you are not alone. So let's connect and heal our vibe within. Hey guys, welcome back to the Vibe Within podcast. I'm your host, Gab Cohen, and I have been procrastinating doing this for so long, it feels like. Um, I don't know. I've just been feeling these waves of, like, you know, depression and then feeling waves of, like, complete bliss and complete, like, expression and creativity, and it's just weird. It's very, very weird. Um... I know that my body is going through a lot of changes, especially with my hormones and just like healing and and that that's a mind body situation. So uh, right now I'm looking at my cat and what I've been, (laughs) this is kind of random, but I, I feel like a lot of you guys will probably resonate, but within the whole quarantine and isolation during COVID, it's gotten me to see my cat's life in a new way and I feel really bad for him and sorry for him um I feel like he's depressed or I maybe I'm projecting but I feel like he's lonely and like he's depressed and uh I just sometimes feel like he's missing out on so much life and I truly think that he is a human trapped in a cat body, which is insane kind of to think this all the time, but I truly do think this every day of my life when I'm with him and how I wish he could experience life as a human and I feel like he's just kind of like locked up, you know, even though he seems like he's happy most of the time. Um, But what got me thinking about this is last night I was watching High Maintenance, which is an HBO Max show. Um, Shout out to my cousin for giving me her password because I was binging that show last night so much. It's so easy to watch. I mean, it's super lighthearted. The writing and the cinematography and just the layout of 
of the show in general is just like really refreshing it's not one of those shows where you have to like watch every single episode to know what's going on it's it's basically this this weed dealer uh and you follow him through i guess it's new york and um all the different people that he that he sells weed to and all of their stories and it just it's just a really cool show to see so many different lenses of people's lives who also smoke weed you know um it's it's really funny it's it's basically a comedy drama romantic it's it's really fucking good and the cast is amazing but what got me to think about this is because there was an episode about uh a dog and the the dog walker came by and and would come by to to walk this dog and the dog like fell in love with her and uh he ended up running away because the the owner was just so depressed and wasn't giving him enough time and attention and the dog ends up being uh like a, a dog to the, these homeless people and it, it's just a really good episode but I almost cried because I wonder how many pets are just so sad and miserable because their their owners aren't giving them enough time and energy and it's just it's just so sad to me and I feel like I'm probably PMSing too so maybe that's why I was so emotional last night watching it but also, um, the high maintenance soundtrack is fucking incredible. If you just like good fucking music, like it's such a good soundtrack. You can actually find it on Spotify. And I was like on Tune Find on my phone while I was watching the episode, so I could like literally track each song as as the episode was going because it's so good and it's like every song and every scene you're like oh my god what song is this so the music producers of that show is they're just really they're on point kind of like um shameless how shameless that the music they use in shameless is is such a huge part of the show um because the songs they use in the scenes really really tie in that energy that that they're portraying in the show and the episode and that and last show that I've been binging is Euphoria so that's another show with amazing music so Shameless, High Maintenance, and Euphoria those are like my top three shows right now as far as like soundtracks go um which brings me to this epiphany that I've actually known this for a long time but I, I re-realized it while I was watching High Maintenance that one of my dream jobs for over a decade of my life is to not just be a writer for a show like that because I do have a lot of short stories and memories about relationships and like scenarios that could easily be written in, into these kinds of shows like very dramatic, funny, romantic you know, stories from uh, my adolescence and drugs and high school and art school and just, just a lot, just a lot has happened. But um, no, one of my dream jobs is to actually be the music coordinator or, you know, the, the music um, production aspect of a series of a show, because that is such a huge part of it. I mean, casting the, the actors and, location scouting and like you know all of it is is important but 
the music for shows really ties in like the the intention and the energy of of what you know mood and feeling the show is trying to to bring to the the viewer so I know that's such a small fraction of possibility in life especially now with COVID I mean finding a job like that is probably like winning the lottery even when it's not COVID so it's even more (laughs) probably impossible but a lot of my friends actually do work in production and they're in the union and they work on these like reality TV shows and um, I guess it's easier to find reality TV gigs but I would rather be a writer or a music production um, like analyst or just soundtrack curator for for a show is is that a job it has to be um music soundtrack coordinator for like an hbo max or an hbo show or a show like girls or euphoria like i feel like i have the experience i mean i've been kind of working in and out of the music industry for 10 years i've been to like over 50 music festivals I've worked for music festivals I've done artist relations stuff so I have to stop telling myself like oh it's impossible you know what I mean because that that is actually playing small and that's like a worthiness kind of wound that we that we all seem to like have deeply grained within us like why do I feel like it's impossible to get a job like that you know like maybe one day it will be possible you never know so it's, it's, you know, you don't want to just like write it off and be like, oh, that's never going to happen because I don't know anybody in the industry or I don't know the right people or whatever. Like, honestly, that's why I'm on dating apps sometimes. Like, that's why I was using Raya. That's why I was using Tinder and Hinge just to see where these people work and see if we have common interests. And, you know, you, you never know. There is actually this one girl I met on Raya and she does work for HBO, um, and she's a writer for them. So it's interesting who you can find. I mean, these times are are challenging because I I don't want to go into a friendship with a motive or an agenda. Like that's just that's not cute. And the whole industry is is so fucked up right now. Anyway, so I'm just I'm just explaining that it's okay to still have dreams. It's okay to still have goals, but you know, just know that it might take a little bit longer or a little bit more work to get there. But, um, yeah, watching Euphoria, oh my God, if you guys haven't seen that, (laughs) that show, it's very triggering, but it is pretty on point to how my high school experience was. I mean, drugs, abusive relationships, toxic relationships, um, and it seems a little bit exaggerated in the show, but to be honest, um, my high school experience was exactly the same, if not worse. I mean, I was straight up doing heroin in high school with my abusive boyfriend, and I actually do have an episode about that if you haven't listened to it yet. It's called Nostalgia and Depression, where I... Where I explain a story that happened while I was in high school um, about my abusive boyfriend giving me a black eye and how my school found out and 
how my dad found out and I was trying to cover it up and it's literally so similar to the (laughs) the story of Maddie in Euphoria and it just it's gotten it's activated something within me watching these shows especially like Euphoria because I have so many stories that are actually written out I have a whole Google Docs like I have tons of typed out stories and scenarios and you know memories um, of my high school experience and like being in a psych ward for a few days when I was having panic attacks in high school like very bizarre and and deep experiences you know during college and art school and the death of my friend Lance and um, my near-death experience when I was like 20 in San Francisco um, when I was at a music festival and I took too many drugs and I almost died it was it was fucking insane and actually I do have an episode where I verbally explain that what happened and it's uh I guess it's the episode that's called psychedelics and near-death experiences um so if you want to listen to that it's it's a wild story it has it has a funny ending to it it's not just scary it's it has a comedic relief layer injected into it which which makes me feel like I have I mean I'm 30 I have so many experiences and life knowledge and scenarios that I've gone through that are worthy of being seen on the big screen I mean I I know that sounds so fucking narcissistic but like I know I'm not the only one who's had these experiences and the reason why people feel so compelled to watch shows that are kind of triggering is because it's activating something within them uh, that's taking them to some sort of suffering point in their life that also brings them nostalgia because it, it gives them a sense of relief kind of like that they they're not the only one that's that's gone through this and that's exactly how euphoria and girls and high maintenance and shameless like those are those are these are my four top shows right now um that really really connect to my life and I wish I had the right connects to get into a network like HBO or you know any any network to be honest I mean it would just be such an honor to to work for a network and be a writer on a network on a series that would be just insane because I have a lot to offer I have a lot of really heartfelt deep stories with and I I I remember details like I I remember things so so um so prominently that it's 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 crazy like I I can see it in my mind I can see the movie scene or the show scene in my mind and one last little thing before we get into this episode one story that I'd love to put into a series because I know that I'm not the only one who's experienced this is uh, last year when I was living in Philly I started talking to this guy that worked at the gym that I was teaching yoga at I will keep his name anonymous I doubt he's listening because I doubt he 
ever <laughs> would even listen to podcasts. Um, but he and I became pretty close and there was this, this day where I was sitting in the park at Rittenhouse journaling and just hanging out. And I remember it was just about turning into fall kind of. And I saw him walking through the park. Like he had just gotten off work and we locked eyes and he came over and, and we sat together and, um, we walked around a little bit then sat, but we walked around the park like twice together. And it was just like one of those like very cute, like meet cute, synchronistic, very easy and effortless dates that just don't, those types of things like never happened to me. And that day was just like, so it just felt so beautiful and like it belonged to be in a movie, you know, like in, there's a series on Amazon prime called modern love. And, uh, it's all these stories that were written for the New York times, uh, modern love, column and that's the kind of vibe that that I got from it but basically what happened was me and him walked around then we sat at a bench and he was like telling me his life story about how he was in rehab for heroin and then he was in jail and just telling me all these crazy stories about jail and and his emotions and he was opening up to me and becoming very vulnerable and it was so hot that he was doing that and it, it was just such a it it really intrigued me and it really attracted me to him even more because he was opening up and the energy that we had was something I, in my opinion, it was something special and unique. And I, I knew that he felt that way too, but he kept, uh, like not engaging with me in that way. And a moment hit me during our, our conversation while we were sitting on the bench and it flashed before my eyes and I saw the future and I saw us hooking up, not in like a physical sense, but I like knew that we were going to hook up at one point. And then I saw, and then I felt how he was going to ghost me and how that was going to leave me heartbroken. And what do you know that happened a few months later? Um, a few months later, did that happen a few months later? I don't even know. My whole, tr- my whole track of time now is fucked. Uh, maybe this was the summer. I don't fucking know. But he ended up ghosting me after we hooked up. And it was so crazy because the night that we hooked up, I basically, before we hung out, I told him, like, are you dumb? Like, I'm, you're telling me about dates that you're going on. And I've obviously made it clear that I'm kind of into you so I guess I'm just gonna like step away because you only see me as a friend and he was like oh my god no I'm I'm so dumb blah 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 like he's not dumb he knew he fucking knew he would make me juices he would make me free smoothies and like write cute notes on um on the the cup and he would you know write these cute nicknames and when when I visited him at work he would like come and sit with me and talk with me and flirt with me like 
you know, like these these guys, they think they they think they don't know what they're doing, but they they do, and they they know exactly what they're doing. And then when the girl shows them that they have an interest, they pretend like the girl is crazy for thinking that. So, long story short, yes, he ghosted me. Yes, I became heartbroken and deeply depressed in Philly because, for once in my life, I finally felt like I was you know, feeling a connection to a guy that didn't have to do with like drugs and alcohol and whatever. So I feel like that's a story that I would love to articulate into a show. Anyways, if you work for, (laughs) if you work for a network and you're hearing this fucking babble, hit me up on Instagram. I'd love to write for you. Let's get into this episode with Arielle Lore. She is a an amazing, inspirational human who talks about wellness and healing from addiction, recovery, eating disorders, and reclaiming what it's like to embody just like positive self-confidence, um, radical body acceptance, and this conversation is very, very healing, and I really, really enjoyed it, so I hope you enjoy it. Please share the episode or tag Arielle. She is always sharing really truthful and honest little stories about her addiction journey, and she has a podcast called The Blonde Files, so go check that out as well, and I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and let's get into it. And so I wake up this morning with like, you know, I'm inflamed and like red marks everywhere. My hair is all over the place because I haven't put a brush through it in months. And I'm like talking to my husband and I'm like, wow, we have fallen so far from the beginning. This is what I love though. Like I, I don't know. I just, I love that because there, I don't know. I just, I, there's those days where you just have to surrender and be like, I'm going to look like shit today. And I just need to be okay with that because tomorrow's a new day. Totally. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes I feel better if I like throw a little makeup on and like try to make a little bit of an effort, which rarely happens these days because there's nothing to do. But then other days it's like, who cares? There are so many other yeah things going on. You got to give yourself some grace. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, that actually is what I want to talk to you about today is just self-esteem and body image and um, just to b- brief the listeners a little bit, I found you on Liz Moody's podcast and I like totally just kind of fell in love with what you were sharing um, because it's a little bit different than what many people do share um, about, you know, going through addiction and not just addiction, but disordered eating, eating disorders and um, like orthorexia and that kind of stuff. Like that is basically the common thread of, of what I'm trying to heal at this time. And I just found it really interesting that you, um, you're so open about the two connecting together, you know, the body and the addiction, Mm because they're two very different addictions and, but they're very like, one of them is a substance and one of them is mental. Um, and it's just, there's like this huge gray area with, with all of that. So I, I really loved that. And then I just found your podcast and started binging on it a while, a while back. And I was like, okay, this girl, I feel like this girl could be like my older sister that I, I always like, begged. I always like <laughs> begged my, my parents to like, 
give me an older sister. So I feel like low key on my podcast, I'm kind of like interviewing a lot of like women who I, I'm like, oh my God, older sister vibes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so um, just to kind of welcome you onto the podcast, um, you are super inspiring with the things that you that you post. And I just would like to hear your your brief explanation of where you're at right now and what you talk about on, on your podcast. Cause that's what drew me to you. Okay. Well, I'm not known for my brevity, so I don't know if I can be brief, but I'll try. I no, am yeah. the worst at going off on tangents, but as you mentioned, I struggled with addiction and eating disorders and disordered eating. There's a little bit of a difference there, as you know, um, orthorexia, all of the things. And I'm sure we'll get into this later, but for me, they were very, they're very interconnected. You know, they're all symptoms of something going on underneath the surface. And they're all symptoms of, you know, how I feel about myself, how I relate to other people, fear, anxiety, all of those things. Um, So, yeah, so I got sober six and a half years ago after being a complete hope to die, alcoholic and drug addict, seizures all the time, in and out of consciousness at the end. Um, It didn't start that way, but that's where it ended. And it was because I just had a total inability to be in the present and be around other people. I was so filled with fear and um, and self-doubt and insecurity and just just so much you know it i just it just accumulated to the point where i couldn't be i couldn't function in the world without having a substance and yeah. throughout that time i also struggled with eating disorders although when my when my addiction was really bad the eating disorder wasn't that bad because i just wasn't really eating i wasn't really i was so numb that there was nothing else really to numb if that makes sense yeah but it would come and go. Um, and then when I got sober, it came back with a vengeance, as it often does. When you're newly sober, everything feels magnified times a million. And there's so many new emotions and yes. feelings. And it's so overwhelming. And I remember like my breaking point with that was I was in sober living. I was maybe like six months sober at that point. And I ate a few strawberries and I went to go throw up the strawberries. And I was like, okay, this is like something's got to give. And I was really lucky in that um, as I got a foundation in sobriety and took care of myself spiritually and cleared away all the shit from my past and was able to be in the present, the eating disorder kind of just worked itself out, which I know is not the case for a lot of people. So I feel really lucky in that sense. Um, But it did kind of manifest in other ways. So a couple years into sobriety, I started my Instagram account, which at the time was The Blonde Files. I wanted to be anonymous. I had kind of, I've always been petite, but I kind of felt like I lost control of my body a little bit. I gained a little bit of weight when I got sober, as many of us do, Yeah, and nothing wrong with it. <laughs> My body needed it so badly. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like, okay, I'm, I'm sober for a couple years. I have like a good life, but now I need to get healthy. And so that means that I have to get abs. Like that was my understanding of health. And so I started doing an online fitness 
program where you were encouraged to post your progress pictures. And there was just a huge emphasis on like before and after. And I was like, okay, I have to get to this after photo. And of course, I post it on Instagram and I get reposted Mm -hmm. to millions of people and I get tens of thousands of followers. So it's really, really validating what I was doing, Um, which, you know, I was I was really trying. I thought that I was being healthy. I was like, okay, I'm going to eat low carb and, you know, just do the things that we're kind of programmed to do. And um, without going off onto a whole tangent about that, eventually, you know, my body just kind of like gave out. And that was, I think, almost two years ago, maybe a little. Yeah, I think two years ago. And I had to completely stop and reevaluate pretty much everything in my life. I mean, the symptoms of what was happening were like, I couldn't function. I was bloated all the time. I was nauseous. I was having period problems. I had mood problems, um, you know, GI problems. I didn't have the energy to work out. So those were the symptoms. But really, the problem was that, you know, I didn't know how to take care of my body, but I also didn't know how to take care of my mind. So that's when like everything shifted. And I really learned how the two are interconnected and how important it is to like, slow the F down. (laughs) Yeah slow down and like tune in, tune into yourself, tune into what's going on around you. You know, like I, I did have a good foundation in sobriety and, and things had definitely like my life got so much better, but I still was focusing on the wrong things. And like the physicality of, of, of your body instead of, that's the thing. That's what I wanted to ask you. So you just listed all of those those symptoms like mental issues, maybe like um, brain fog, the the digestion, the gut health. This is what drew me to you because you talk about these things that can actually be because we're getting sober and our bodies are are finally functioning like the way they're supposed to function. And um, I mean, I can speak for myself, like my drug use and alcohol abuse started very young. So honestly, I don't think my body has functioned on its own in like over like 15 years, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. And I don't think people realize like, cause I'm one year sober um, and I haven't drank or like done drugs in a year in like a few weeks, so like a year and a month, which Amazing. is the longest that I've ever gone without drinking. And I was doing it mainly for health issues because I just like wasn't even feeling good and I needed to get to my root cause, which is what kind of like when I was listening to your podcast, you planted that seed as far as like slowing the fuck down, like what you just said is, <laughs> and I was like, oh, like my life has been insane for like all the, the entire year of 2019 was just a shit show. And, um, I went through a lot and the stress factor is what I feel like was just making my body not able to function at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. I mean, the science behind that, I mean, if you're stressed, your digestion is the first thing to go. You know, if you're getting chased by a bear, your body isn't digesting, it's food. And our bodies and our nervous systems don't know whether we're being chased by a bear or we're stressed about work or we're stressed about a relationship. So we have so many stressors 
in our lives. And that affects every, every system of the body, you know? And I think for me, definitely like 10 plus years of doing drugs and drinking for sure damaged my gut for Mm -hmm. sure threw off my hormones my adrenals you know staying up for three days or whatever right not eating my metabolism all of that but what I'm coming to realize and what I'm learning more and more especially with the experts that I get to talk to on my show and people in my life um I'm learning just how much of an impact things like trauma and stress and emotional issues have on how our bodies function. Yeah. Um, Like, would you say that like stress also, I mean, I heard this in your most recent episode with Melissa Wood. Um, I know you've had like maybe a couple, but the most recent one, um, you guys touched base on this deeply, like about how when you're stressed and you're doing a lot, you're, you're exercising, you're, you're doing everything quote unquote, right. But you're actually overdoing it so that you're, so then your body holds on to weight as if it's like, it's an energetic kind of holding on to the weight. Totally. Yes. And that was my experience. And today, this morning I talked to Elisa Vidi. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. She, no, I love her. Yeah. Okay. So you know who she is and She has a new book out where she talks all about this thing called the infradian rhythm. Have you heard of that? Um, I think so, but I would like to hear your your take on it. So I'm totally going to butcher exactly what she was saying. But the idea is that in the same way that we have a circadian rhythm, women from the age that they start menstruating to menopause have something called an infradian rhythm. And it's a cyclical thing where throughout the month, you know, you're going through these four different phases. And in each phase, your body needs different things, because biologically, we're changing through different phases of our cycle. Right. So, you know, in one phase, we have, like, say, when you're estrogen dominant, you have more energy. Um, We're naturally not as hungry, our bodies are burning more calories, all these different things are happening. Um, And what she was saying is that like our medical system and all of these guidelines that we've been told to do as far as working out and sleeping and when to wake up and when to work and all these things Mm -hmm. are based off of men's bodies. Wow. (laughs) She's like, yeah, for men, it's great because men wake up every day. It's like rinse and repeat, same thing, you know, their testosterone, their cortisol is really high in the morning. So like you get up really early, you hit it hard with a really tough workout and then you go to work and then in the afternoon, the cortisol and the testosterone start going down. So that's when you kind of like, you know, wrap up your day in the evening or whatever. And that's what we've been told to do, right? Like rise and grind Mm -hmm. and early bird gets the worm, all these things. And she's like, that's that's great for men, but like we are so different from that. So, you know, we've been forcing our bodies to like work a certain way to fit into a certain mold. And, um, and it's just, that's just not how it works. And that was my experience. Like I was trying to force my body into this after photo. Right. Yeah. And my body was like screaming at me like, no, no, no. (laughs) You know, I was counting macros. And at the time, like to get to my credit, 
I thought I was doing the right thing. I was like, okay, I can count macros and then I don't have to obsess about food the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. But, you know, really I was like, oh, well, I'm eating 1600 calories and it's like so much food so I can easily eat 1400 calories. And then when I'm eating 1400 calories and I don't feel hungry, I'm like, well, I can eat 1200 calories. Um, And I look back on pictures. Yeah. And I look back on pictures of myself from that time and I'm like, Jesus, like I was a rail and I did not see it at all. Yeah. So, right. So like body dysmorphia, that's, Mm -hmm. I feel like I have that too. And you're, you're basically just, you're one of those people who I just resonate with so deeply. It's insane. Um, (laughs) But like you, you mentioned cortisol levels and it's interesting because I, recently just found out that my cortisol levels were like 10 times as high as they should be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, now I know why I have Hashimoto and my thyroid and my endocrine system's not working. It's because of my hormones. So mm-hmm. I kind of had to be my own doctor um, and be that annoying hippie patient that that requests all these like tests and stuff. <laughs> but like, I got it. I got it figured out. And it. I have to say it's you know, it makes complete sense because cortisol has to do with stress. And I felt like my metabolism shut down, like literally, um, along with my endocrine system issues, because with hypothyroidism, your metabolism's already shot. And I think I honestly triggered that. And I did that to myself by doing drugs, taking birth control for 10 years, being on all sorts of medications. Um, so I really, truly think that that the connection, it's almost like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, okay, is the way that I'm feeling legit? Are like, are my symptoms actually physical or are they, are they like more mental? You know, is it part mm-hmm. of my stress? Is it part of my eating disorder? Is it part of that part of my brain or is my body actually um, physically having having issues? And when you have body dysmorphia, dysmorphia it's hard to decipher that. Totally. Yeah. And this is why I think, for me at least, slowing down, and I'm, I feel like a broken record because I talk about it all the time, but I'm like, it's this really simple thing that it has tentacles that reach every aspect of our life. Like, I'll just speak for myself. Like, when I, when my body started to shut down and, you know, I was, diagnosed with gut issues after that and hormone issues and all these other things um I was told that like we can we could treat those things but if I'm chronically stressed like it's just not going to get better right and and that didn't just include like work stress life stress you know just the everyday day-to-day running around stuff it was old trauma Mm -hmm. um and old like emotional wounds and so you know I had to really like that's when I started to do meditation and I really I didn't have the energy to work out so I couldn't even really do that for a while Mm -hmm. and I really had to look within and it really I noticed myself healing once I did that because once I was able to slow down and really like tune into my body I tuned into everything my hunger cues my thoughts you know in meditation observing my thoughts my thoughts about 
myself, my thoughts about the world around me, um, my desires, my needs. Like when you, when we're just running around life distracted, which it's understandable, we have so much going on, usually not so much right now. Um, it's easy to just kind of like override what you're feeling. And how can you possibly know what? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I seriously love BetterHelp so much. They're one of my favorite sponsors, and I will tell you why I love them so much. When I started this podcast, I was going through a really rough time. I'm talking drug relapse, drug addiction, drug abuse, relationship issues, anxiety, depression. I was going through one of the craziest moves of my life, so therapy really helped me get through a lot of that and online therapy is in my opinion even better than going to a therapist's office because let's face it our lives have changed the last year or so and I just feel like online therapy is the best way to go. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating with them in less than 48 hours. They really do match you with with a therapist so quickly. It takes, in my case, less than 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which might not really be locally available in all areas. The service is available for clients worldwide, and it's super easy to access your account. You can log in, you can send a message to your counselor really at any time you want, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, whatever you prefer. I like to do phone sessions sometimes because sometimes I like to, to go on a walk when I, go on, when I do my therapy sessions. It's really up to you. Traditional therapy can come with kind of a stressful energy attached to it. So I really love how BetterHelp is really controlled by the the patient. If you want to connect with your therapist and communicate something with them, they have a journal feature, which I absolutely love. This journal feature has the option of sharing your journal entries with your therapist, but if you want to keep them totally uh, private and anonymous towards yourself, you don't have to share them with your therapist. But I really like this feature because for many of us, starting fresh with a new therapist gives us a lot of anxiety and it can trigger us. Um, so if you feel like that, you're not alone. I felt the same exact way because let's face it, a new therapist has to ask questions and try to get on the same page as where their client is. And sometimes rehashing our, our history of trauma and all the details can become kind of exhausting and a little bit annoying. So what I do when I start with a new therapist, like I did on BetterHelp, is I use the journal feature and I wrote kind of a lengthy email explaining to the therapist where what I've been through in the last few years, where I'm at right now, what I'm looking for in therapy, and 
what kind of therapy I've done, what kind of therapy I'm interested in, and what I'd like um, out of a therapist. So this is super important. If starting with a brand new therapist gives you panic or anxiety or stress, this is the most stress-free approach you could possibly do. I love how they matched me with someone with the experience and qualifications that I asked for. I personally asked for a therapist who had some experience with eating disorders, depression, and relationship trauma. Once BetterHelp matched me with my therapist, she messaged me right away and then I scheduled my first session with her for that week. The process is easy, effortless, and stress-free. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So if you're going through a hard time right now, and let's face it, so many of us are, whether it's emotional turbulence, depression, anxiety, relationship issues, LGBTQ issues, whatever it is, body image, self-esteem, BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com vibe. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, and join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Vibe Within listeners, you get 10% off of your first month of online counseling at betterhelp.com vibe. That's betterhelp.com slash vibe betterhelp.com slash vibe go start online therapy dm me on instagram let me know how it's going and i hope that you get the help the support and the healing that you deserve you need or what your body like our bodies are so powerful and they tell us what we need but we have to slow down to listen and maybe it'll take more work like maybe you have to meditate and journal. I mean, there's so much value in like putting pen to paper and getting your thoughts out of your head because it's totally different when you get it on paper. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I always try to do like kind of a brain dump. I love that. Yeah. Um, especially really after helps. meditation. Yeah. And then you can start to kind of like unravel. I feel like I feel like we get to this point, especially with like addiction and eating disorders and all these all these issues that so many of us have today is it all just gets like tangled up inside and it's so hard to unravel and, and figure out what's actually going on, especially when we're just like distracting ourselves 24 seven. Yeah. So I have a few questions on, on that stuff. Like, so, I mean, stress would, would you say stress was the root cause of your issues then? I think it's probably about 90%. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I still like, so I've completely changed my approach to my whole lifestyle. And I have slowed down. And I do try to base like what I eat, how I move, all of that off of what my body needs on any given day because it's different right we're fluctuating our hormones are fluctuating some nights I get nine hours of sleep and I feel amazing and other nights I get six and I like just want to die like I just feel awful yeah it's either um, like one or the other to be honest yeah so um 
So what was your question? Okay. Was stress my, yeah, my so main thing? You, yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that I, you know, I've really like been able to scale back look at the big picture and really take much better care of myself. Um, but I still sometimes have issues that said, I still have like unresolved trauma that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And so I think there may be an aspect to that, like just residual trauma. Um, once I started trauma therapy and doing this thing where like it literally, we work the trauma out of my body, I noticed a huge difference as well. Yeah. That's like the final, not the final, but it, it really is like the missing kind of puzzle because when I, when I do have that capability of like, um, kind of mind dumping and or having a friend you can talk to or I I mean I go to I go to therapy once or twice a week um and like virtually but um it really does help just releasing all of that that's bottled up inside and because when we bottle up that that energy I mean that's what that's what causes anxiety and that's what causes like panic attacks you know like Mm -hmm. just keep keeping that energy in and it's hard when you're slowing down because I'm kind of in this this boat where I just had to slow down like a a month ago is when I pretty much stopped working out and I really toned it down and I really like going for a walk was like the most that I would do all day and that is so different than what I'm used to that that um the less of the body movement and stuff like that to, re- to release stress, then the stress pops up um, in mm-hmm. through anxiety. So right. it's very, very hard to, to find that okayness and just feeling content while you're slowing down physically because you know you have to because your body needs to heal. But then the mind... Um, like today, for example, I just feel like shit, you know, I'm, I'm swollen, I'm inflamed, blah, blah, blah. And then once that, once the the physical body lets the mind know like, Hey, I'm feeling like shit. Then the mind is like, Oh my God, I have to do everything that I can to like, not feel like shit. And it's like mm-hmm. kind of like a, a chase to, to just feel better physically, especially when you're, when you're healing from an eating disorder or like even just like healing gut health. Um, when you were starting to heal your body and slow down, you said, you know, your metabolism was shot. So how, what did that look like when you were, you know, just incorporating more foods into your diet? And like for people who want to, who are healing from an eating disorder or disordered eating, but they also want to stay healthy. I feel like there's sometimes a stigma around that. Like, oh, you know, if you're healing and and you're trying to recover from an eating disorder, then you shouldn't be like hyper focused on health. So it's hard to to find a balance. Yeah, it definitely is hard. Um, you know, I I don't want to say I'm lucky, but I've always been really petite. So like when I stopped doing everything that I was doing, I definitely my body changed. But at that point, like I was just so sick and tired of feeling like shit mm-hmm. that you didn't care I was willing yeah I was willing to go through whatever I was going to go through and I knew that something better was on the other side whether that meant that like I was going to gain weight and you know I always say like maybe our bodies and minds have a different idea of what they should look like I had to get to a place of acceptance like okay clearly like having this rail thin body with abs is not 
good for me. Like this is not it takes so much work and I can't function. So this this isn't working. Like my way is not working. And I always say that like I'm a rock bottom person. Like I have to wait. I have to get myself to the point where I'm so desperate that I'm willing to accept that I have to change my lifestyle. And that's what happened when I got sober. And it's also what happened when I had to, you know, slow down and, and reevaluate I'm my lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. So it, in a way, it makes it easier because, you know, they say in recovery, right, gift of desperation. And you have all that motivation and, and fire and just like yeah. you're ready for change. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And that was exactly it. I was like, I'm so... I want to feel better. I really want to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think because of my sobriety and all of that, I think that I just have less of a tolerance to like sit in my shit for too long and be unhappy. And um, so that said, I... It you sounds know, like I, a lot of surrender. Like that's the energy that I'm getting from you right now is just so much surrender. Yeah. Total, total surrender to what our mind has told us for so many years and just the repetitive thoughts and the OCD with food. Like it becomes such a habitual pattern that we don't even know what life is like without it sometimes. And mm-hmm. that is so trippy when I find myself, um, like having a really good week, you know, like really good. Like I feel like I'm, I'm super, like I'm, I'm really feeling good in my body. I'm feeling really good in my mind. Um, I feel like I'm making huge progress with, with recovering, not just my hormones, but my disordered eating stuff and slowing down. And then the next week it's completely different. And I feel like I gained 10 pounds overnight, which I want to talk to you about because I've, I've heard you, I don't know, I don't remember on what episode, but you were like, there's no way that your body can change overnight. And I forget what podcast this was on. Um, but you guys were talking so like so much truth about how as women, um, especially I, I can't speak for men, but for women, we'll wake up like one day and we will feel like our body has literally gained 15 pounds overnight. And, yeah, that's me today. <laughs> yeah, that's me today too. <laughs> so I fucking, I don't know what the hell is going on, but maybe, you know, it's a California energy thing right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how did you navigate when you your body was changing and um, you had those days where you just felt so uncomfortable in your body? So I had to kind of learn how to practice radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, this is another recovery thing, but when I'm just thinking about myself and how uncomfortable I feel in my skin or like how bloated I am or me 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 Mm -hmm. I have to turn my attention onto somebody else not in a way that I'm like distracting myself from any real issues that are going on but I'm gonna wake up sometimes and feel 15 pounds heavier like and then the next and then two days later I'll be back to however I felt before like it's so fleeting um The way that I can kind of weather all of that and have it be less like tumultuous um, is to really like try to keep my focus on what I'm doing for other people and like how 
how I'm fulfilling myself in other ways and, you know, being of service and all those things. Um, because we, like the, the truth is I didn't gain 15 pounds last night, you know, maybe five pounds of water retention. That's, you know, or 10 pounds, who knows we fluctuate, you know, And, and I try to like be kind to myself that my body is reacting to something, you know, maybe it's stress, maybe it's something I ate, Maybe it's just a particular time in my cycle. Maybe it's a hormone thing. Who knows, you know? Also, like, everything is temporary, too. Like, Exactly. That's been, like, a huge mantra that I've really, really been trying to incorporate into my life every day. It's so simple and cliche, but, I mean, like, especially on those days where you just absolutely feel like shit and, um, you know, everything is just super stressful. Thank God it's temporary. Like, I mean, everything you're saying is – totally falls into line with my day today because um the day started out really weird um I'm house sitting for a friend and they like had like this guy had to come in and like fix a window and it was like just a lot of like weirdness so I I woke up with a lot of cortisol stress in my body and I knew that and I was like fuck like now I need to like find a way to like alter this energy and and truly get out of it because I know that when the body's stressed, then it's going to trickle into the physical body, you know? So it's, it's definitely, um, it's nice being aware and like being aware of exactly what's going to trigger and what you just said about like shifting your attention on someone else. I totally feel like that's, that's what happened today. And then like we, we hopped on our call and I instantly started to feel way better just because I'm talking to someone and I'm not stuck in my head and I'm not just like walking around this apartment, like thinking about my anxiety, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a very isolating thing. And yeah, if you don't, you know, I know for people, like if they're not in recovery or in a program or something, then they're like, well, like be of service, help somebody else. I mean, there are ways that everybody can do that, but yeah, you can also just pick up the phone and call a friend if you have somebody to call or, you know, there, there are different ways. And I was going to say something. Oh yeah. Um, you were saying everything is temporary. And I think that, you know, the, the problem comes when we attach ourselves to either a negative feeling or a negative thought, because we're going to have a million feelings a day (laughs) and a million thoughts a day. I mean, I'm sure there's like an actual number for that, but, um, that was another thing that I really had to learn how to let go of. And like back to the surrender thing, like my recovery is one surrender after another, after another, after another every day. And it feels so fucking good. So, you know, letting go, letting go of old ways and letting go of attachment to, to, you know, those, those negative thoughts and feelings that we're all going to have. Um, it's a choice. Like, I don't necessarily believe that like, oh, you can just choose happy. But I think that you can choose whether you want to sit with the negativity or if you want to like go someplace better. Right. We do have a choice to either really pay so much attention to the negative thoughts, which are out of our control. Um, Damien Eccles, the, the guy that that he was in jail for I don't know how many years um, towards the end of his his 
stay in jail. He didn't feel like he was in a jail cell. He said that he felt like he was in a control tower and he was like manifesting all of this crazy shit outside. And when he actually got out of jail, like those things were, were manifested into his reality. And I think that we really we don't realize how much we do have in control of our bodies. And a lot of it is mental. Like a lot of mm-hmm. it is just finding that that ounce of like strength to just be like, you know what? My body doesn't look the way that I want it today, but it's like there's so many other things that I, sh- that I can be doing. You know what I mean? And like focusing my energy on. Like it's it's so bad to like harp. Yeah. and And it's kind of it comes back to you because if you're focusing on those other things, suddenly you like what you see in the mirror. So, you know, really like that's something that I've found. Like my body can look the same from one day to another. And if one day I'm sitting at home and I'm on Instagram and I'm going down a rabbit hole and I'm not doing anything like useful, which trust me, it's fine to have those days too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to feel like shit about myself. And then if another day I'm out and I'm you know, with friends or I'm doing something cool for work or doing something for my husband or doing something, you know, being of service somehow, then, I mean, it's twofold. I'm thinking way less about myself and how I look because who cares? And then I also like what I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just like a total rewiring of the brain almost when, Mm -hmm. when you're really trying to, um, unlearn so many like negative ways of of speaking to ourselves and and I kind of wanted to shift into a, a different topic that's also very similar to what we're talking about with like where we're focusing our energy um when you were you know doing drugs and drinking and and using substance were was your energy focused on a lot of toxic people like were you in a lot of toxic relationships what what um kind of you know were, were there any relationships that left a scar on you during that time and because being sober you know it's pretty lonely at times and it's it's hard to meet people sometimes the older you get um that are you know you don't have to label label yourself as sober but um like i personally maybe one day i'll drink again um but i'm just not sure when like you're familiar with um sophie and and her husband, Dr. Adi, and how mm-hmm. how they their protocol kind of works, how it's how it's just more mindful based. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're when you were going through your phase of drug addiction and blah blah blah, were you dating? Were like what, what did dating look like, and and what kind of people were around you, and what kind of energy were were you having with with people? Hey, <laughs> well. <laughs> Let's see. Let's start from the beginning. Um, (laughs) I was not in healthy relationships. Pretty much my relationships were finding somebody who would either enable what I was doing or was doing the same thing as me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that like my wounds were seeking somebody else's wounds so that we could like fit together, you know, like my trauma match other people's trauma. I think that's how people come together in those kind of relationships. Um, so, you know, I was kind of a serial monogamist in that, like, I had a long relationship. The first relationship I was ever in, I was like 14, maybe through off and on through my early twenties, I want to say. And it was like very tumultuous, very, very traumatic for me emotionally. And 
um, that really, really scarred me. And, you know, those are formative years. So it had a lasting impact on my brain um, and my, my brain wiring, I think, around like relationships and trust and all of those things. Yeah. So when I was kind of, when I was off to the races, then I would like meet a guy, you know, who was doing similar things to me or doing similar things as me. And we would like instantly move in and we would be together for like a couple of years. Um, they were never healthy relationships ever, ever. <laughs> they revolved often around drinking and doing drugs. And, you know, usually the guy that I was with would be like functional and, um, everything would look good from the outside, you know, but, but inside was not good. Um, and then as far as like who I was surrounding myself with, I, I was such an addict and alcoholic that like my purpose for living (laughs) day in, day out was drinking and doing drugs. Mm -hmm. And really it was a way for me to try to connect with other people. Like I think I was I was numbing a lot because I accumulated so much shame over the years from, you know, things that I would do or that would happen when I was drinking and using. And I had emotional stuff that I was numbing out. But I also, like, I just never felt comfortable in my skin. And that's why I started drinking. And so when I drank and used drugs, like that wall, that invisible wall between me and other people came down. So, you know, I, I would surround myself with people again, like the guys that I was in relationships with that were kind of partying the same way that I was. And I just could never be alone. And, you know, I don't want to say that all of them were bad people. I for sure hung out with some really sketchy fucking people in my life. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. Got myself in like so many weird situations like going to other countries it was just crazy that's Um, the thing so like so like what what you just said was like you know you were and this is why we all use this is why we all have addiction it's to soothe pain or soothe trauma so it's funny well not funny but I mean it's just kind of funny because when you're you're trying to like mask the trauma and the not feeling good about yourself with the drugs and the alcohol, the, the partying and the act of, of doing drugs and drinking oftentimes brings you more drama and, and more trauma and more fucked up situations and like more fucked up people um, come into your life from doing from that lifestyle. So then it like just creates even more trauma. Yeah. It's such a vicious cycle. And, you know, I, I would add to that shame, like I said, like shame was unbearable for me. The shame initially of, you know, leaving college after a semester um, when I had been, I had every opportunity in front of me, you know, and so leaving college and seeing my friends move on and graduate and go into grad school and get jobs. And that was really intolerable for me. So I had to be defiant and make it like, no, this is my choice. I chose to do this. And like, I am, I'm a party girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, okay. Like this is back in the age of like Paris Hilton. I was like, I am a socialite. (laughs) (laughs) You really did like start everything. I feel like. Oh my God. Yeah. Her and Nicole Richie and. (laughs) Nicole Richie was my idol in life. So that should, you know, pre-sobriety, she was my idol in life. So, um. 
Yeah, that's funny. That should tell you everything you need to know. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. Like, I was part of the generation that, um, like, just the celebrities who were super skinny were just getting so much attention. And I feel like that goes to show a lot um, with how our generation, millennials, um, how we were raised and to see, like, what's in these magazines. And it's funny, like, you mentioned Nicole Richie and, like, Mary-Kate Olsen, you know, like – I loved her growing up and then I don't know I'm not blaming celebrities for my eating disorder because it started um when I was probably like 13 so I was I was young Mm -hmm. um but it's had different phases you know it hasn't been the same type of of situation for for my whole life like just like when you when you phase in and out of drug use you know I think you you mentioned that you've cleaned up and gone back a few times you know um, and that's normal and on a journey, it's not going to be one linear line, but like, I definitely can say that my, the, the drug addiction and the eating disorder has kind of like phased in and out. And it's, it's really crazy to try to just step away from both of those things because they're, they're such a big part of life when, when you know nothing different and it's, it's empowering, like everything that we're sharing because, it's fucking dark and it's muddy when you're when you're stuck with a toxic mm-hmm. relationship like you're explaining you know you feel very stuck yeah totally yeah and that's why like for me um there are so many different ways to get sober and all of that but for me you know I'm part of a program and it's really like given me everything in my life is I feel a result of that and the biggest thing that I got out of it was a community and a community of people who I can talk to like you and I are talking every day, day in, day out, you know, and it, it stripped away that all of that shame, because when I can talk about like some crazy, horrible thing that I did, you know, that like would be a deep, dark secret with anybody else and tell it to a room of people and they all like laugh because they've all done it too. Yeah. Um, so validating yeah it's like the language like we speak the same language the language language of the heart right and like that that was everything everything that I wanted when I was drinking and using which was to feel comfortable in my skin to feel okay being my authentic self flaws traumas everything um the ability to like connect with somebody else on a genuine level be vulnerable have confidence, self-esteem, all of that is all stuff that I, that I got, um, in recovery and, you know, with, from these women that I surround myself with. So it's a big, big component of my life for sure. It's like such a big energy shift and, you know, it's like a huge click in the mind when you go from, you know, wow, I'm really punishing my own body and my own mind um, and shifting out of that and just being like, you know, I can, I can heal and I can connect with people without alcohol, without feeling like I have to be a certain way, um, to, to connect with people, you know, and that's, Mm -hmm. that's why it's, it feels so safe in, in those rooms and with, um, you know, I went to like this meditation, sober, sober meditation meeting when I was living in Philly every week. And it was really, it, that's what really got me into this recognizing that it's like you don't have to just 
sit inside all day and think like, well, I can't really meet anybody until I'm fully healed. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's, that's something that I really, um, I would love to hear your opinion on that. But when you're, when you're healing, when you're going through therapy, I mean, a lot of our listeners are, you know, that they have a therapist, they're doing the work, they're focusing on themselves, they're trying to heal past trauma. But how do we start dating and and start meeting people and not carrying our our wounds so heavy? And like, how did you rebuild your self-worth and your trust with people? What did that look like for you? What did it feel like? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, people ask me about dating, like once I kind of healed myself and I'm not a great person to ask because I didn't date for my first year of sobriety or maybe two years of sobriety. I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was my first year. Um, And, you know, I I got a really solid foundation in recovery and like dealt with a lot of stuff in therapy. Um, And then once I felt like I was ready, which I can't even, you know, I wish that I could like pinpoint exactly what it was, but I just felt like, okay, I feel like I'm ready to like dip my toe in. And then I got on the apps and I like, it was just a disaster. (laughs) Let me tell you, men like in their early thirties in LA do not know what to do with a sober person. (laughs) That's yeah. I mean, honestly, I get that vibe, but to be completely honest, I think that it's, it's not as bad here as it, as it is in Miami and Philly, which is where I lived before, um, <clears throat> before I moved I back to Florida. But, I mean, there's um, such a, there's such a, um, big recovery community here. That's one. Yeah. And then the other thing is I think because of how like health conscious and self obsessed people are here in LA <laughs> or like Southern California, yeah. um, people are less like confused if you're sober, but that was, yeah. So I dated like just, I don't know, just like fuck boys, I would say. Yeah. And then I met, and then I, you know, I knew my husband from recovery and we'd known each other for like a year and we started dating and then I got married. So I don't, when I look back now, it's not like I was like, oh, I was completely healed and I was completely a full person. And then I met my husband. Um, I was, it's just that I was, I was aware I was aware of things and I was working on them and that was good enough. You know, when you're aware of things, then, then you can do something about it. And so I was very cognizant of like not repeating old behaviors and maybe even to a fault. I mean, I was like, he's so much older than me. Is this like a daddy issue thing? Okay. I need to go to therapy and talk to my therapist about it. (laughs) And then like, oh my God, like, should I be you know, hanging out with him this many times. Cause in that relationship I did that, you know, and it was just like, all right, calm yeah. down. Um, so, you know, I know that people say like, wait until you're a full person and then you don't meet, you don't meet the person who completes you. You meet like your other, you know, whatever those sayings are. Yeah. Um, oh, like twin flame or whatever. Right. Yeah. I don't and- know if I believe in that. I really, I honestly, like, I don't want to sound like a pessimist, <laughs> but I truly just don't see it happening for me anytime soon, but you know, knock on wood, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like that's Um, when it happens though. (laughs) I've just, (laughs) yeah, I've just completely, when we talk about surrender, I've completely surrendered because I've been through a lot of shitty relationships too. And I'm, I'm actually going through, um, exposure therapy with my therapist and we're going through every single guy that has left 
a negative like imprint on me, whether it's sexually or emotionally or short relationships, long relationships. And it is so fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to, just to like rethink about it all, it, it makes sense that yeah. we, we take out, a, we take out our, our anger and our shame on ourselves. Um, and, connect with toxic people that that leads me to like one last kind of question I know that we're kind of going to the end but like for people who are in a soberish lifestyle and they're healing let's say from an eating disorder um and you know they're just not trying to do drugs anymore you know like they they never had a drug problem but maybe they just don't you know they just don't want to do drugs and drink um, what would be like the best time to let a partner, a new partner know? Like, when do you have that conversation? Like, did you have to have a conversation with your husband? Like, Hey, this is like my issues based around body image and, and nourishing myself. Like, did you have to like explain it to him or like, what, what did that look like? Um, I'm trying to remember. No. So with him, I actually started dating. We started dating like right when I started doing the workout thing. So oh, okay. I had my eating disorder and disordered eating had been dormant for a few years and people always ask me and I'm, they're like, did you meet him in your before or after? And I'm like, my before. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, so I was kind of just getting started on this like quote unquote journey. And so it wasn't until like a year into our dating, I think, where things were kind of really coming to a head. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think as far as like disclosure, I'm kind of, I err on the side of like being really forthcoming because if somebody is going to have an issue with someone being sober curious or, you know, dealing with body image or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. if they're going to have an issue with that, better to know it sooner than later, right? Yeah, that's see, that's the thing is like, I think that coming out right away and being like, hey, like, maybe not like on the first date. Right, right, right. No. But you know, once like once you hang out, maybe, maybe three dates, four dates. Mm -hmm. um, It's just weird. Because like, once you put that out there, um, like, sometimes it just feels like it feels like too soon. And like, you don't want to like, just tell them all of your traumas right away, because then they might just look at you as if they might just look at you like, oh, this girl has problems. Did you ever feel like that when you were dating? Well, so I don't know about like laying your traumas out on the first few dates or after a few dates. I think that not that's like traumas, like- but, but like what you're saying, like I'm sober, right. I'm like sober now. I'm, I'm actually like somewhat celibate just because I'm like waiting to like have sex again after going through all of this, like Mm -hmm. this therapy with my, with my therapist, it's just made me realize like, what's the point of having sex? That's not, that doesn't make me feel emotionally well, you know? So, I mean, if it's sobriety, like I, back to what I said before, like I, I don't think there's a reason not to be forthcoming because, um, like I said, like if, if it's the right person, they're going to, be supportive of you. And I went through that with the guys that I was dating from the apps where, you know, I wouldn't necessarily tell them on the first date, although it would usually come up because we would meet at a restaurant or a bar or something. Right. And I would be like, oh, actually, I don't drink. And, you know, 
I think people just have so many like misconceptions around not drinking either like you can't have fun or you're judging them or whatever um and it was frustrating for me because I was like no like I'm cool I'm fun (laughs) (laughs) I'm not judging you like you can drink get shit-faced I don't care you know right um and the guys would be kind of like "Eh," like trepidatious and like not really feeling it um and I was like fuck like who is this going to be a major obstacle in the way of finding a relationship? And everybody who had more time than me and who had been through it before was like, it's not the right guy. Like if they have an issue with it, they're not the right guy. And, you know, it's all about them and not about you. And um, it was super easy with my husband because he's, you know, he's sober he's, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I know plenty of people who are in recovery who are either in relationships or married to people who are not sober Mm -hmm. and and they're supportive so I really think it comes down to like being the right person the right person is going to not give a shit if you don't drink or not who cares you know exactly yeah my 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 like dream scenario would be like I don't mind meeting someone who drinks um, frequently, but if, if they just do their thing and they're responsible with it and they don't, they don't, they don't find it weird that I don't drink and we just like mesh together. I mean, that's like the perfect scenario. Cause I don't really need to be with someone who's sober. You know, I, I think it's fun to be around people who are drinking and, and whatever, like in, in the right scenario. Um, not like in a club or anything, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think as long as they, like you, when you're sober and you have like a clear, you know, clear vision of what's going on, you can very quickly see who's drinking just because it's fun and who's drinking because they have their own shit. <laughs> to escape. Yeah. Right. Well, wow. Yeah, that was, that's true. Is You can definitely tell when you go, when you go out, you're like, that person has a problem mm-hmm. or that person <laughs> is just having a beer with their burger, like a normal right. person. Right. Like people who leave like half of a beer yeah untouched right I don't I don't understand those people it does not make sense to me but those are we're all or nothing <laughs> yeah <laughs> well um thank you so much for for doing this I don't want to take too much of your time um but I really appreciate you coming on and where can everybody find your podcast that they'll probably binge in a week like I did <laughs> So my podcast is The Blonde Files Podcast, and they can find me on Instagram at Ariel Lori, and there's links to like the podcast Instagram, the podcast itself. Everything is on there, too. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. This was so fun. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I know I really enjoyed it while I was listening back and editing Uh, Because there was a couple parts that the audio uh, got a little bit weird. So I I really did listen through this episode a full time. And everything she says is just so fucking healing and like validating. And especially if you're in this realm of recovery or getting through mental illness or some kind of disorder like eating disorders or, you know, sobriety. Dude, it's it's. It's physical, it's emotional, it's it's sexual. A lot of things start coming up when the mind and the body start getting clear without substance, without, you know, 
addiction and disorder. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, if you made it this far, thank you. <laughs> if you'd like to support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate, or review, or just share this episode on Instagram and tag your, your homies. Tag Ariel, uh, tag me, and let us know what you enjoyed from the episode. If you got any big epiphanies or take backs, because I know I know I did. I mean, talking to her is like talking to an older sister I never had, just because our stories are so aligned. So when you when you listen to podcasts that are so similar to your specific journey it's kind of shocking and and you can get a lot of these hits of of realizations and epiphanies so thank you for listening and i hope you enjoy the rest of your day or your evening and we will catch up soon see ya